guns on a very momentous day. Today was the first day of the Ryan Fitzpatrick era here in Washington. And boy, did he make a good impression. The new quarterback spoke to the media today. I'm going to talk about what he had to say and more about this offseason, uh, including the, the new sign of Curtis Samuel, who also officially signed today and what's to come. We're going to do that with my friend Les Carpenter from the Washington Post. And uh, I'll talk to you guys in a few minutes with some quick other thoughts as well. Uh, make sure you check out my stuff on The Athletic. Uh, if, you're having, if you're not a subscriber yet, it's a great time to get in there now. Go click on uh, any one of my articles and you can join for a dollar. Uh, that would be swell if you did that. Um, a, a dollar a month, I can say. Sorry, just to be clear. Uh, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Ben Standing. And of course, follow this podcast, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you do your podcasting. This episode is brought to you by my friends at All Pro Reels. Uh, all Pro Reels is a credentialed digital media company covering all major professional sports teams in the Washington, D.C. area through photography and videography with a database of over 25,000 images. Whether you're looking for in-game content or content with your favorite player, APR has you covered. All right, so I'm talking to you guys. It's Thursday night. Les and I will actually be talking in a few minutes, so um, we'll see what happens there. Um, but day four, and I'm going to jinx this, I'm sure, but as of this point, they have not, the, the first three days of free agency, they had big signings, Ryan Fitzpatrick, William Jackson, and Curtis Samuel. Today, there were some other moves. that uh, They added some offensive line depth in Tyler Larson, who was a training camp player here in 2015 before playing at Carolina since 2016. Linebacker David Mayo, uh, Giants last year, another Panthers guy, though, uh, before that. Those guys are on, on the team. Washington re-signed Danny Johnson, Lamar Miller, David Sharp. Death adds, depth adds there. Um, they are moving on from Nick Sunberg. I'm going to talk about that with less. So there's a long snapper hole to fill. And obviously there are some other holes to fill as well. But I wanted to specifically talk about Samuel and a couple of other things. And I wrote about this up on The Athletic. So uh, for those of you who read it already, I appreciate that. This will be a little bit of a, of a repeat. But, you know, Obviously, he's a guy that we've talked about a ton here on the podcast. Uh, everybody in town, I think, identified him as a likely target, if not the target. Uh, so, you know, this is not a surprise move. Obviously, again, there's the Carolina connection with he, he entered the league in 2017 as a second round pick with Rivera as the coach. Uh, he, he played under, under Rivera and Scott Turner last year under Marty Herney uh, as the GM. All that, all that kind of stuff, and obviously Washington needed a, a second receiver. We've known that, you know, that that's been all, all the talk we've had this whole time. I, I'm not going to get into this whole thing that I've said to you guys a hundred times about um, not spending big at receiver because you want to make sure that McLaurin is going to get paid. You know, you don't, you don't have to like sort of overspend on McLaurin. The way it worked out was good. Uh, I, I think we don't, we haven't seen the contract details yet beyond, I believe it's three years. I've seen 34 and a half and 35 and a half million with I think 23 guaranteed. Likely that means that comes out to probably a, a scenario where it's the next two years or the third year, either minimal or, 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 or no guarantees. We'll see about the breakdown there. That's, but ultimately, you know, if we break that down to, you know, a little over 11 million a year, that's not a massive number. And my point before was everybody just kept saying, go get Allen Robinson or go get 
um, what the perception of Kenny Galladay would be or whomever. And all those guys would cost at the point that everybody was assuming, don't tell me what's happened since, 15 or more million dollars. And to me, that would have been too much. So waiting here, I think it was a reasonable cost. Now, what what did they get in Curtis Samuel? Well, I think we kind of know, right? He's a guy that runs a 4 through 140 at the Combine. Straight line speed. I, I spoke to uh, some people around the league. That, I mean, I already had a sense, but just wanted to get their sense. Straight line speed. He's a defensive matchup nightmare, which is exactly a good fit for Scott Turner's offense. Just like we had last year with Antonio Gibson, um, J.D. McKissick, and to certain degrees, um, Stephen Sims, you can line them up kind of all over the place, outside the slot, the backfield, and have some fun with that, depending on if the defense has a nickel in there, you can do one thing. If they have a base 4-3, you can do something else, um, you know, certain personnel. I think it's going to be really fascinating. Um, it's one thing to sort of have a sense that, okay, Terry McLaurin will be on the outside if you're a defensive coordinator. I kind of know what that means. I can game plan to have, you know, a, cor a cornerback, uh, you know, maybe shade him you know, to, to, you know, towards the middle where I know I've got safety help or maybe a press man or whatever it may, whatever it may be. Samuel, it's a much bigger challenge. You don't know where he's going to line up. And, uh, you know, that was part of the piece that, that I wrote about. Um, basically, he is, uh, just as a quick example, I really was fascinated when I saw this. In Ron Rivera's last year, 2019, he played, I can't read my own writing here, 958 total snaps 303 were in the slots so that's 31 percent and he set personal bests at that at that point for yards receptions and and touchdowns the touchdowns still stands last year under matt rule the new panthers coach and there are 30 what 31 year old offensive coordinator joe brady who's clearly going to be the you know a, a big time a, 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 a hot coaching candidate next year he played roughly 300 fewer snaps but he set new personal highs in yards and receptions. And I think it was in part because of, how, of the usage, they played him 399 snaps in the slot, over 60% of, of the total snaps for Samuel. In addition, um, 70 snaps out of the backfield. He ran a fair amount there, uh, was, was productive finding the end zone uh, in, in all over the place. And my sense is, while we're all talking about the familiarity that Rivera and Turner had with Samuel is why they wanted him back in the first place. And that's true, but it's the understanding, frankly, of how somebody else used him that really, I think, pushed it over the top. Uh, and, and that's why, like, I think there's, if there's any question, I saw somebody on Twitter ask me this, you know, is there a question about does this team understand how to use him? I think it's, I think that was a reasonable question, but like I said, my, my point is, from what I, my, my sense is that they understand there are more ways to use Samuel than they were perhaps on their own. So I think that's something to keep in mind. Now, you know, I always like to look at receivers like, is this guy a third and nine, third and eight receiver? If it's that play, can my quarterback drop back and fire to that guy over the, you know, down the field in coverage? You have the, the defense kind of knowing the, the, you know, the general concept of what's kind of going to happen, you know, in terms of you got to get to the yard marker, you know, that's everything. He's not that guy. Uh, had a scout say, you know, he's not the best rat runner. His hands can be a little spotty, although they've improved. So don't necessarily look for him to be lined up outside a ton in, in two-man sets. I'm not saying it's impossible. And look, you're paying good money. You want him on the field. But I, I think that they can kind of figure out ways 
to use him in be, in, in in best scenarios. And I think that's maybe what if there if there are lessons learned from what Carolina did last year is just that play to the strengths of a player. Don't play to what you, what you want to do. Um, what I was also told was that one reason I think that people thought he had some success last year uh, in Carolina was the, the Panthers had two legitimate outside receivers in DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. And from that, it becomes even harder now for the defensive coordinator to plan for Samuel. By the way, of course, the Panthers also have Christian McCaffrey. Didn't play as much last year because of injuries. But, you know, when he's out there, that's even another component. Now, Washington has Terry McLaurin as a really strong, obviously, outside receiver, plus Antonio Gibson in the backfield. Then there's J.D. McKissick, who gives you another one of these versatile threats. Well, you know, the, the other outside receiver spot, we'll see. Obviously, Cam Sims. He's back. He was tendered um, as a restricted free agent. You've got Antonio Gandy-Golden, essentially had a redshirt year as a rookie. You, you would imagine that he's got a chance to get some real snaps. Kelvin Harmon's coming back from an injury. And, you know, the history of, of Marty Herney is drafting a receiver or a running back high in the draft. So, um, you know, it's possible there could be somebody else. This is considered to be a really deep class, but I don't think all of a sudden now they need a receiver because you just added – Samuel. So I think, you know, everybody's going to make a big deal about the speed. And obviously that is huge. And his ability to, to, to break tackles, all that stuff. But how they use him is really going to, I think, come down to how successful this is all going to be. And then when you factor in, of course, Ryan Fitzpatrick and quarterback, you know, the biggest difference there between what they had a year ago is he is, you know, breaking news. You may have, I don't know if you've heard this term before. He is a gunslinger. <laughs> he is a gunslinger. The ball is going to go up the field. That's obviously what you want to. Why you want to have speed with McLaurin, Samuel? They're gonna they're gonna have that. Um, and, and you know, let me not discount you know, the other guys. I mean, Cam Sims definitely made some big plays down the stretch last year. Steven Sims, you know, kind of struggled last year, but we've seen him uh, do that as well. So you know, uh, they, they clearly have more explosive elements in the passing game. Uh, you know, by the way, McLaurin and, and Samuel, college teammates. You know, I, I think there's genuine affection there for each other. Sometimes we maybe try to assume things, but I think with these two guys, I think there's some genuine uh, connection there. They were the same recruiting class coming into Ohio State. And, uh, you know, just if you saw on social media yesterday, I think it was pretty apparent that there was some some good stuff going on there uh, between them. So, look, I, I think the Samuel signing is positive. We'll get Lessis take in a few minutes as to what as to what he thinks about the whole thing. But I think it, it, it makes a ton of sense, and I think it can get, it make even more sense if Scott Turner, uh, Ken Zampezi, whoever's kind of figuring out what they want to do, you know, comes up with a good plan going forward uh, to do that. Um, I'll talk about what's next, you know, with, with Les in a few minutes. Um, one thing I just want to note, I've talked, you've heard me talk before about, you know, back in when we were talking about could they get Stafford or someone like that, you know, I was saying that this is about, there is an opportunity here. There is this window. It's not a window that they're a contender, but there's a window before their salary cap situation starts getting uh, a bit a bit more complicated. 2023 is sort of that point. That's when McLaurin becomes a free agent. Deron Payne, his fifth-year option, would be, would be done. That's my phone that I didn't turn off making noise. Apologies for that. Um, so uh, Morgan Moses' contract is, is comes due at that point. I mean, I think he's an option, obviously, to be extended here. I've mentioned that before. But what's notable so far of the three signings, now Fitzpatrick at 38 gets the one-year deal. I think that's understandable both from an age perspective and, uh, you know, kind of just where he's at. But as far as uh, Jackson and 
Samuel both got three-year deals. Now I'm going to assume that, you know, the, the, the structure I know on Jackson's on the second year, or I'm sorry, on the third year, they can kind of get out if easily enough if, if they want. The second year, I believe they can even get out just for $5 million. Uh, once he signs the contract, he has not signed the contract yet as of this moment, at least it's not official. Once he does after five days, the $5 million that he'll be guaranteed in year two will kick in after five days. But they could, in theory, get out after that. But assuming that that doesn't happen because then things went really bad. Um, the point is that it, it, it's a combination. It isn't just their whims. I think the whole half, most of the league players and, and teams are gearing up for 2023 when the cap is supposed to uh, take a hit, t t go up uh, after you know, the revenue shortfalls and so on. But, you know, the point is that, like, we're seeing some situations around the league, like Will Fuller signed a one-year deal. Hassan Reddick of Carolina signed a one-year deal. Washington signed these two guys for multiple multiple years, and I think it's a, it's a legitimate sign that this isn't just for them about, you know, taking a shot. They are trying to sustain something over time. Rivera has stated that as well. And, um, you know, they haven't done that yet. Yes, I know Fitzpatrick signed a one-year deal, but that wasn't the guy taking less for the one-year deal. It was just that's kind of where – um, where he is, uh, where he's at. There's still more, there's still more things to do. Of course, like I said, they, they, they've added some, some depth. Um, I, I made fun of the whole Larson and Mayo aspects of those signings. Cause again, more Carolina players, minimum guys, it is what it is. If, if you think the guy can possibly help your team or even just, or the practice squad, or even just be somebody that you think will push others in training camp, that's fine. I don't think that's the case here. I think these guys are probably brought here to make the team. I honestly haven't even thought to myself what, what Tyler Larson does for this uh, for this roster, but we'll, we'll we'll get to that, and I'll write something about the depth chart for Monday up on the Athletic. So uh, some interesting stuff. Obviously, I think Curtis Samuel is, is one people getting a lot of excited, uh, really excited about. I'm absolutely not going to rain on that parade. Hopefully, everybody um, enjoys it. Uh, it you know, look. It's been it's been a fun group so far. We know about Fitzmagic. I, I don't know much about William Jackson the person, but he's got a pet pig. Uh, from what um, Jay Morrison, our uh, Bengals writer, who was on the other day. If you by the way, if you missed that, uh, that was a fun podcast. Ross Tucker was on with me to talk about Fitzpatrick and Brandon Sheriff. Uh, but Jay Morrison, our Bengals insider with the Athletic, was on uh, spur of the moment to talk about William Jackson. So you can check that out and all the podcasts uh, over on wherever you do your podcasting, iTunes, and so on. Uh, all right, so let's get to it. Les Carpenter, when you hear me again, will be on the conversation with me. We'll get into Fitzpatrick. We'll get into Samuel. We'll get into what's next and some other thoughts about this team as we are heading into day five of free agency here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right, joining the podcast now, as promised, he is – an award-winning writer and a noted coffee drinker. He is Les Carpenter from the Washington Post. Does the coffee thing at this point, I mean, is that like how you're known in, by, by, by most people for your, for, for, for your, for your taste, for your fascination, for your just daily consistent habit of the Java? I think only with you guys in the, uh, in the Washington press corps, uh, the, the Washington football team press corps, you guys seem imminently fascinated by it and think I consume more coffee than I do. I'd be dead if I drank as much. I, I have two lattes a day and that is it. I, I think I drink far less than some people. This came up the other day because I, I, I was either the first or second day of uh, of this and 
I have had way more coffee this week than normal. I've gotten no sleep again, no complaining. It is what it is. But, um, you know, and it's just three today, knock on wood. This is the definition of I'm not jinxing us, but the first three days of free agency, they've made a move at night. Um, and you know, you're kind of sitting around all day and then that led to staying up to whatever, and, you know, getting like hyped up. The people always ask like, why do sports writers stay up late? I'm like, well, one, typically you're covering a game at night and two, when you do a nine to five job, you don't go to bed at six, <laughs> you know, you're jacked up. And like when they're making moves late at night, you're like, like the Fitzpatrick one came like 11 o'clock. Yeah. You know? the Fitzpatrick one was late. Uh, yeah. I think, I think we're probably good here. Uh, but um, yeah, knowing that probably this will run after uh, tonight, uh, we will be, uh, I, I, I suspect we're good, but um, yeah, it's been interesting that they've had these moves. They've each come at night at various times of the night, the Fitzpatrick one dropping late at night. It's, it's kind of exciting too, when you have free agency and that this big move happens late, it's, it feels almost a little old fashioned uh, so much now is, you know, is not really a surprise. And it often happens over several days of, you know, sort of, you know, discussion and angst and consternation. So to have a signing like that, a quarterback that, you know, is going to be the starter, and have it just drop, you know, at 11 o'clock at night, you know, one night is, it, it's kind of fun. And it was, uh, it was a little bit of a crazy night, but yeah, it was worth it. Right. Yeah. Oh, and, and we, people here who are listening know the one I did earlier in the week, I was recording the podcast when the William Jackson signing happened. I was with Rhiannon and uh, Zach Boyer and we had to stop because the signing went down and we had to go reorganize. And then I came back and I brought in our Bengals reporter I swapped out two for one and brought in our Bengals reporter to talk about William Jackson. So we've already happened once this week. So yeah, we're, we're, we're not going to, not tempting fate. Nobody wants, we don't, we only do, do this again. Um, all right. Les and I've already had a fun day though, because for the first time as a member of the Washington Reds, excuse me, as the member of the Washington football team, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick spoke, he signed, he, he became officially a member of the organization today. And you know, there's all the, the Fitz magic talk and like, you know, there's a lot of excitement about the cult of Ryan Fitzpatrick and some about the actual player and his press conference today toward a force of press conferences. He dropped so many good lines, the, the, the comedy, uh, he dropped lines that were, that, that were, there were uh, emotional moments about his journey and, and, and how he's, you know, navigated the world being a guy who's bounced around at all times and, and trying to figure out ways to, 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 to succeed. He obviously has done that, the insp- inspiring his teammates, but then he's also talking about how he's got, he, he can't catch Philip Rivers in terms of the number of kids that he has. Um, he was dropping a lot of, a lot of lines. Um, uh, other than your family, your immediate family, where does Brian Fitzpatrick currently rank among people in your life that you, uh, that, that, that's important to you? Is he, is he at the top of the list right now? Or, or or at the top of the list right now. Well, I I, I hope not. No offense would be taken from him, but I mean I don't want to necessarily say that a quarterback who we just had on a Zoom call for a few minutes today is, is becomes the most important person in my life or one of the five most important people in my life. But um, you know, it will be good I think to have him here uh, for. One, I think just the general interest and entertainment value for the for the fans and for everybody that, you know, but also I 
this was always, I think, going to be a bit of a placeholder year if they didn't somehow find a veteran and like, you know, the Matt Stafford, somehow they were to make a deal with him or someone like that. With, you know, in absence of that, I always thought that there was going to be some kind of a temporary solution, a bridge to the next the, you know, the next guy uh, this year. And I, I think he's about as perfect for it as you can get. And it was interesting to hear him talk today about how over time he has really learned to play the position. Uh, first time I ever encountered him in person where I taught, we, we had a, a conversation and all was 2011 with, was with Buffalo and uh, you know, his star was just kind of starting to rise a little and he, he was much more of a gunslinger throwing the ball all over the place and getting intercepted. And, uh, but those Bills teams, the, I remember that particular one was very exciting. I think they started off 4-0 and beat the Patriots in Buffalo. And that was the day we spoke. And, uh, you know, to kind of see what he was then as a younger quarterback who was kind of just throwing the ball all over the place, but, but exciting nonetheless, to now I think a guy who's a little more refined, who understands the game at a much deeper level. Uh, I, I think he's a perfect guy for right now for this team. Uh, he's what they need, somebody that the players will respect, that can run this offense well, that understands it, that knows what they need, uh, can manage the game if they need to manage the game, can take chances they need to take chances. Uh, you know, I, I think it's I think it's been a I think it's been a great pickup for this team, and I think it's exactly what they need for now. And then they have to figure out, you know, what the next will be, uh, whether that's next year or in a couple of years. Uh, I want to come to back to that point in, in, in a second, but, you know, I, I thought today was a really good example as to why they signed Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like we're all going to like, again, focus on like the highlights and, and the, 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 the chuck of the ball down the field and just sort of, you never quite know what's going to happen with him and, and all that fun stuff. Um, but, you know, over and over again, Ron Rivera, when, when asked about what does he look for in a quarterback, obviously I, I, talent is, you know, I think kind of goes without saying, but he talked over and over again about he needs somebody in that position to be a leader and somebody that the players rally around. Now, ironically, of course, the guy who seemed to be the epitome of those things was the guy he just had in Alex Smith. But obviously, for a variety of reasons we've discussed a hundred times, um, you know, it, it was a complicated situation to have him going forward. And I just talked about the leg injury and the salary cap, not not nothing else. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick today. I think demonstrated why he can be that mode. I mean, first of all, we've already seen it over time where he seems to be such a, a celebrated teammate. It was interesting when he was asked today about Fitz magic, like how would he define it, that, that, that term? And he not so much defined it, but he said that the moment it really took off for him was when he walked out to that press conference, we've all seen it. He's looking like Conor McGregor, the chest hairs popping and he's wearing Deshaun Jackson's jewelry. And I had forgotten that it was Deshaun Jackson who obviously was here. And I think that was just sort of an example. It's it just another example of how the teammates rally behind him. I mean, and, and, and get and connect with him. And he said that when he goes to places, he understands this is his journey, that it's been, like basically on some level, like he gets, he was put on this planet to travel from team to team and spread the gospel of playing good football, doing the best you can. And I think he embraces that. And I think that is what, uh, as much as anything else, if you ask, why did they sign this guy? They tried to get Stafford. It didn't work out. They, they explored some of the younger broken toy options, as I keep calling them, your, your, your Mario's, your Darnold's, whatever. And they landed on this guy, I think, largely for those reasons. They obviously need him to throw the ball down the field and, and, and make plays. But the, this is the thing. If they couldn't, like you said, if this is a bridge year and they couldn't quite get what they wanted, this is the thing that I think Ron Rivera has talked about. And this guy is almost a living embodiment 
if it's not Alex Smith of exactly that, what he wants out of that position. Well, again, it's, it's a calculated risk when you're, when you're letting Alex Smith go. I mean, as you said, there were a lot of reasons it was complicated. Uh, the injury obviously was going to we had limited him. Uh, I think the the fact that he missed three of the last four games had to alarm them and make and and really make them uncertain that he could he could necessarily you know continue to to, to start for a, a full seventeen game season and whatnot. Um, but if you're going to get rid of Alex Smith, you better have somebody that that locker room can respect because. I don't know of a player that I've been around this team off and on over the years that I, I can remember having the kind of respect in that locker room that he did. Uh, and, you know, when you take that out, when you willingly take that out and say you're releasing him, uh, you know, you run at least a little bit of a risk of, of losing some of those guys. And so you have to replace him with somebody that the players can buy into that the players can, can believe in and can trust. And, you know, I, 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 players talk, players know, uh, he comes in, the veteran players, you know, will all call their friends on other teams that he's been with and play with him. And, you know, they'll, they'll probably hear good things. Cause I think we've always only heard good things. Uh, you know, I think that probably helped in free agency too. If you're going to go out and go get a Curtis Samuel, you want to make sure you have somebody that Curtis Samuel knows can get the ball to him. So for all those reasons, I think it was, uh, it, uh it, the right guy to go get. Uh, at, at a decent price too. And, you know, he brought up something that I thought was interesting about playing some of his best ball at 38. Uh, certainly not acting like he's anyway <laughs> ready to give up playing ball. And it, and it kind of makes you think, well, maybe he could be a couple of years, you know, let's see, let's see how it goes first. But you know, maybe this is a two-year thing as you bring a guy along. But I, I do think they have to identify that next guy quickly uh and you know he knows the deal he'll be a mentor to that player and that's you know again he's why he's why he's the right guy for right now well well let's get into that that mentor thing because you just you you just mentioned it um and i'm curious what you think that people have heard me talk about this like okay so you are now currently on this roster you have Ryan Fitzpatrick, you have Kyle Allen, you have Taylor Heineke, you also have Steven Montez, we'll sort of put him off on the side as a guy who hasn't played in the NFL yet. Um, you know, I, I think Kyle, I mean, I, I people heard me say, like, I thought the move to, to make was, and I'm not discounting Fitzpatrick, but to me, but for both the short and the long term was, take a shot on the Mariota type guy. I'm not saying him specifically, but one of these guys, Mariota, Darnold, it looks like Mitch Trubisky signed for no money to go to Buffalo. So clearly the interest in him was, was pretty non-existent, or at least he, maybe he decided he wanted to go for a play with a better team and whatever, but uh, the opportunity for him too. Yeah. Uh, your your year kind of learn a little bit. Right. Yeah. It's, Buffalo did something good with Josh Allen. Maybe he can learn from that and all exactly. that. Exactly. Um, that way, if you get one of these guys and your coaching staff can, fix this guy then you have somebody not just for this year for 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 going forward now maybe you can make the argument i guess with kyle allen and taylor heineke that last year was a weird year obviously because of the pandemic uh for for kyle allen who didn't really get the shot as we know in training camp to to go forward I mean, he's obviously been with his coaching staff but regardless and then you have taylor heineke who you know showed up late in the year and did what he did i, I still think the craziest stat is for all the years he's been in the league fitzpatrick he has fewer career playoff starts than Taylor Heineke's one. That's true. <laughs> yeah. It's bizarre. Um, but the quest the, the thing is like they they seem to have three quarterbacks 
And while Fitzpatrick is clearly better than them, they're all sort of in the same journeyman. Is it phylum? Is that the right way to, is that the right term? Like they're in the same category. They're very much, yes, they're very much kind of journeymen. I, I would say this, I mean, right, you know, neither of those other two guys have established themselves the way that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. The other two guys haven't made themselves, you know, regular starters in the league and, and that kind of a thing. Um, so their, you know, they, their trajectory is still, is still kind of is going up toward that. Yeah, it leaves an interesting, you know, kind of kind of situation. Do you go forward with just this three, this group of three, or do you go and draft somebody or do you wait until next year to draft somebody or sign somebody that will be more your long-term guy? I don't know. I, you know, I, I, obviously that's going to play out over time. I, I still tend to think that you have to do something in this draft. Uh, you know, they've made some smart signings. It's something I wrote about today. So it puts down, it takes the pressure off to have to go get a receiver or go get a, uh, you know, a cornerback or whatever. And, you know, in the draft, you now can kind of pick either the position that you like, if you really love a linebacker, or you really love a tight end, or you really love a, a, you know, a left tackle, things that they could use, or you could kind of do something and go get a quarterback. You could either maybe trade up and, and have a shot at somebody. Uh, you could trade uh, back and, and have a shot at somebody down there, or you could just kind of stand pat and pick players that you like and maybe get a guy in the third or fourth round that, that you think could eventually develop. But I think somehow you probably have to get another quarterback this year. And if you do that, then are you keeping each, both of those other two guys, neither of whom are that expensive to, to, to let go. So, you know, I, this, the suspicion probably is that the future quarterback is not in the building uh, or not on the roster and that they're going to have to figure that out in the coming weeks and months. Uh, you know, I, I suppose there is always a chance that one of those two could emerge, uh, but there's enough of a career sort of tape and, and, and book on both those guys to say, well, you know, that's, that's probably a bit of a long shot right now. Yeah. So I logically agree with the assessment that they probably need to go do something else in the draft. It doesn't have to be the 19th pick. It could be anywhere in the draft, whatever. That said, I have stated that I think once they got Fitzpatrick, I think that's it. I don't think they're going to do anything else. Now, obviously, if in the if it's an RG3 Kirk Cousins situation, I'm sure that plan that year was not to draft the quarterback in the fourth round, having traded up to take RG3 as the second pick. But the board fell the way they did. They felt Cousins was too good of a value. Obviously, they were proven correct to do that. So who knows? But in a planning sense, I'm going to go with the theory that they're not going to do that. And to that also point, because like, I mean, again, and I've mentioned this quote a hundred times, you're the one that asked the question that elicited the answer of, Hey, Ron, do you think that Alex Smith, that you could have done this with Alex Smith? And without blinking, he said, yes, we could have done this with Kyle Allen. And if he really thinks that you don't, just don't throw out a quarterback who you think can start in this league on a whim for your drafting somebody you don't even know by the way he's been with Kyle Allen now several years so there's that too and then Taylor Heineke they didn't have to go give him an extension right away if Taylor Heineke was still a free agent he you know what he is still a free agent nobody is signing Taylor Heineke at this point um you know you know I mean Mitch Trubisky say whatever you want he was a starter in a playoff game I know so was Taylor Heineke but like he was the quarterback to help get the Bears to the playoff game and he couldn't get any real money in free agency so 
Heineke will be sitting, they chose him. So I'm going to go with the theory that that's their three. There is also, again, Montez. We'll, we'll see whatever they think of him. Um, but I do also agree that the long-term answer is likely not here. And I do think that makes an interesting bind. And that's why I thought I was surprised that they got Fitzpatrick slightly at all. But certainly on the first day, I thought maybe you wait a little bit and see uh, kind of see what else happens. See, and I push back a little bit on the original point about uh... – you know, not wanting to draft a quarterback later in a round back in 2012 when it took RG3. I, I do think that was kind of at least a little bit of the plan. Uh, and, you know, no, I, I think a lot of people probably are shaking their heads saying, what didn't we see with Russell Wilson? What didn't we see with Kirk Cousins? I, I do feel it's getting harder and harder to do that, uh, to find that Tom Brady, you know, late in the draft. I, I you know, it seems like these guys are identified more early uh, but I, I do think you have to, you, you do have to identify that guy soon. And I, yes, you can look at next year's draft and say, yeah, here's some guys in next year's draft that we really like, you know, next year could be promising for quarterbacks. Uh, but on the other hand, then you're, you've got this young defense that's playing really well, but the, you know, the contracts will start to come up. Uh, you're going to start having some of the, oh, hey, you know, Terry McLaren, you're, you're starting to get to the end of his rookie deal. Uh, there's some windows that could close a little bit starting, say, 2023. And so do you want to be going 2022, a year that you might really, truly, if you're Ron Rivera and you've come in here, that's your, you know, that's your third year in, in this stat. It's kind of the year you're hoping to win the division and move forward, maybe kind of go deep in the playoffs, whatever. Do you really want to be doing that all over again with a, with a brand new quarterback you just took in that year's draft? or that you just signed in free agency. Uh, it's, it's a risk. And I, I still suspect that there's a guy that you could go out and draft this year, have him sit for a year behind Ryan Fitzpatrick and then come in and start next year. Well, let me, let me ask, let me ask you to like this, the, uh, I mean, obviously the, uh, so I, I would suspect we both agree at this point, it doesn't make that much logical sense to take a quarterback at 19. Now, if one of these top five guys is there, I guess you have to consider anything, but like realistically, that's not going to happen one way or the other. And I mean, I would just logically assume that's probably not. I throw nothing out with that right now. Well, I mean, for sure. I mean, it could happen. I've said like that again, that was my, my, my my pre-free agency pitch was they should wait on quarterback, not just like day one or day two for agency, wait until April, see what the jets do with Darnold, see what happens with Watson and see what the, how the draft unfolds. You never know how well, perceptions today may be different in five mo- weeks. But sure. I'm just saying, in a general sense, it seems unlikely they're going to draft the quarterback bar, bar in the unforeseen. Even day two, I don't know if that's how they're going to use any of their picks. But if I, if I tell you, okay, draft a quarterback somewhere around four to seven, I say do that almost every year. What's more likely? The guy in round four to seven or even th- round three, those guys typically don't – shine either if you draft that guy you're taking a total flyer when likely that guy is never going to amount to something could but likely not just based on odds or you wait and see taylor heineke who actually looked good in a playoff game and kyle allen who's now started a fair amount of games and has been interesting enough and the coach likes him what's more likely either one of those two guys turns into at least a pedestrian starter versus you this you, you have a long shot that actually turns into a real starter yeah, I don't, I, I think the thing with Taylor Heineke is, and, and he made this point, he started two games in his NFL career and he got hurt in both of them. Absolutely. Uh, you know, with, uh, with Kyle Allen, 
he's had some moments. He got hurt too, uh, you know, and so it's uh, twice in, in starts this year. He, he you know, he, he got hurt. Uh, I think it was three games and he got hurt in two of them, uh, had to leave two of them. So, you know, I don't know that you can necessarily count on believing that either one of those two guys uh, could be your quote unquote mediocre starter. I hate saying that because if you guys, your starter, you're hoping he's going to be more than mediocre. Uh, no, I, I think that if you're truly trying to identify that guy, uh, you either do what you can in the, in the first round of the draft this year, if you believe in one of those guys, knowing it's not going to be Trevor Lawrence, uh, but one of those other guys, maybe you, you feel that you really truly can, can, and can, can do something with them. And then you, you make that sort of aggressive trade. Uh, if not, uh, you know, they may value somebody. You never know how these teams value someone. They may value somebody in the middle of the draft. I think you take a quarterback if you value that guy, sure. not just to take a quarterback to play with. I mean, I was in Seattle. Mike Holmgren was coaching there. He'd always try to draft a, a quarterback or sign one late just because he loved to tinker with quarterbacks. That was just his thing. Uh, and the lottery ticket aspect makes it absolutely worth it. I mean, you well, it does. And if you know what you're doing with quarterbacks, it does. But I again, yeah. I think that with this team, with the nucleus that it has, with the window that it has, I think you want to find your quarterback who's going to grow with them. Uh, I don't think you're just going to take a flyer on somebody. I think you really are going to identify somebody. And I'm assuming with this move too, with, with Ryan Fitzpatrick, that they have some idea of a group of three quarterbacks, wherever it is in the draft or free, you know, draft next year for agency, that there is a group of guys that they truly would want to build around, uh, you know, if they could get their hands on that player. But I, I think if you've got the chance to do that this year and you think, say, for, I'm just making this up right now, I would say you, you really think Mac Jones is that guy or could be that guy, then I think you make that move to get him and sit him for a year behind Ryan Fitzpatrick and learn. That's what every quarterback should do. This idea of starting these guys as rookies is, oh, I has become the trend, which, which Ron Rivera helped start, by the way, with Cam Newton. Uh, you know, there's very few Cam Newtons out there. You know, very few guys can just make that transition smoothly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I'm, I'm, I, I can't stand, uh, I can't stand that. And yeah, at the end of the day, if you love a guy, ethic, go get him. But I'm just, you know, in the general sense, my guess is, if like I said, that these guys are there. Uh, to switch it quickly, we can go off of quarterbacks. So, quick answer on this. So, uh, today it was reported that, uh, I mean, Ian Rappaport, that uh, the Raiders are basically telling Mariota. Hey, uh, here's the deal. We're not going to pay you the money that's on this contract. So you can take $3 million and stay, or you can get cut. And if you look at the market, uh, basically all 32 teams in the league right now have a starting quarterback. I'm counting Trevor Lawrence to Jacksonville. I'm not saying they're amazing, but you know, Drew Locke is a guy in Denver they've used, Andy Dalton's with Chicago, so on. Um, so there is really no place for Mariota to go anymore where you're just like, well, you're the guy. But maybe I, I reported previously that Philly is potentially a place for him that could maybe still be in play. Uh, if you're Washington and Mariota gets cut now, they I, I, you know, I reported that they had looked into Mariota before as a trade, whatever. He's available now. Under the guideline of what you're talking about, you still need somebody down the line he's still relatively young there is still potential there if they had interest would you sign him to then bring him in as that guy not take away the draft uncertainty and bring in him uh yeah if you if you like him and obviously they have had interest um you know if the interest was so you know just just so intense and they could have made a trade for him 
uh, they could have waited and just assumed that the Raiders were you could have gotten a seventh round pick for him, right? Uh, if you really wanted to, so um, but yeah, yeah, if he's someone you you think could be a guy or you want to you kind of want to play with him for a while and put him in your system, he is he is elusive, uh, he has some of those traits that I think that uh, you know that are that are valuable for a quarterback today and that, that you know that they value here. Uh, and tell them, yeah, we're, we're signing you and you're going to go into a competition with uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. I could absolutely see that. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's what he'd want. He might have better opportunities elsewhere. Uh, but I don't, I don't think that would be a, a terrible signing either. For, for all you people. You know, you're that... constantly trying to, and Rivera's talked about this too, and, uh, you know, the competition aspect. He's made it very clear in coming in here that, you know, there are no sacred cows. The past is the past is the past. In fact, he's probably done a lot to wipe out the past, uh, you know, more than maybe even he needed to. Um, so I don't know that you would necessarily say that you know, you're trying to improve the team. You're trying to build competition everywhere. Uh, you know, if you bring in Marcus Mariota to compete with Ryan Fitzpatrick, I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing for this team if they chose to do, you know, to go that way. I don't know if they would. I'm just saying if they chose to, I don't think it would be that bad. Um, for all you Mariota maniacs out there, Les just gave you a lot of false hope. No way he's coming here. They, uh, he, he'll have better situations. He's not, he's, he, I think he will too, but yeah. if he doesn't and he wants to come here and they want to play with, you know, with the idea of him being a future guy for a few years, maybe. So like the last thing on this, the reason why Fitz, for all the competition talk, Fitzpatrick is the overwhelming favorite to start. He look at the money he's gotten. He's going to get paid way more than, uh, Kyle Allen is basically playing for less than a million dollars and Taylor Heineke is playing for just over a million dollars. Money doesn't dictate everything, but it dictates a starting point. He's starting way ahead. They have to catch him. Uh, Mariota, if you're going to keep, if you're going to bring Mariota in for the purpose of thinking he could be the guy long-term, you have to give him a multi-year deal. If you give him a multi-year deal, then you really are going to say, well, you probably, we do want you to kind of get in there because we're thinking long-term. And therefore, I just don't think that's likely that they would give him a multi-year Again, deal. I don't think it's likely, but I do think that, I, I don't think you close any doors at quarterback for this team right now uh, because that future guy has not been identified. Uh, if, you know, if, you know, if this was a different situation, even, even last year was a different situation because they wanted to go forward at least and see with the guy who was here, would he be the one? Was Dwayne Haskins going to be the guy that they, th- they thought could maybe potentially be the future here? This is a different year. This is one where it's incredibly fluid. Who, you know, I think every possibility has to be explored and will continue to be explored because ultimately that's the one hole you have to fill more than any other is figuring out who your quarterback is uh, who can get you to that level that you want, which is the Super Bowl. What level do you want to get to? Well, that would be the level. I think. If I was a football coach, that would be the level. No, I meant for you. Like, is there a level? You, you know, what, what's your what, what's your next level? Like, what's your thing? Like, do you want to? You're a big biker. You're trying to get to like the Tour de France. Like, what's your? What's your... <laughs> I can't even. I can't even get through downtown Bethesda right now. So, uh, no. I mean, but you know, in general, though, I just you know, it's it's just such an important position, and yeah. it's unsettled here, and I think it's going to remain unsettled to some degree uh for a while so any option i think is something you have to look at but if that's marcus Mariota on the street if that's a guy in the first round of the draft if that's a guy in the fourth round of the draft if that's a guy next year whatever 
you have to constantly be looking for that. And I expect it, it will be task number one. I, I will say, and I keep trying to get off the quarterbacks, but like to connect this to the Stafford situation, as well as last year to the Amari Cooper situation, two years now in a row at this point, they have identified some high-end guys they wanted to get. They made significant pushes to get them. It came up short. I'm not saying, you know, you give them a college try for trying, but they, I, I think I like what they identified. I thought what they, they attempted to do was fine. The other, you know, there was reasons why Cooper and Stafford went where they went that were be, sort of beyond Washington's control. Um, but then they didn't panic and just say, well, we have to go out and go do something. They didn't just then after they didn't get Stafford start throwing around six first round picks as far as we know to go do something, to do something else. And by, by going with Fitzpatrick, they're like, look, we, we still want to win, but we're not like, I, I almost took it as a signal as we're not going to trade three first round picks to move up to the eighth pick to take Trey Lance or somebody the, this was like, nope, we're going to do this instead. And we're, and as a team, we're going to continue to build we think this guy for the locker room stuff and the getting the ball downfield aspects will help us in the short term. And we'll continue to figure this out. We'll continue to build up the team and we're not going to panic. Obviously we got to get a quarterback, but we'll, 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 we'll figure that out. We're not going to, we're, we're not going to uh, chase it. All right, we'll, let's get off quarterbacks. Um, this is not a topic that is like, wow, everybody's like banging down their door for the long snapper talk, but Nick Sundberg uh, told us uh, that he wasn't going to be brought back. Uh, by the team he is the longest tenured member of the team it was he and Trent Williams and then when Trent Williams went away he he was the one who had that honor and uh, now he's not going to be back and it's going to come in an offseason where I'm assuming Ryan Kerrigan's not going to be back either it was another longest tenured kind of a guy and look I I I I know Les is a big fan of breaking down tape I say somewhat sarcastically because neither am I but like you know we do you have to but like it's not the go-to anyway I'm sure neither one of us have broken down the long snapper tape uh I'm not going to sit here and go uh well they got rid of him because there were questions there although it's notable I guess that Dustin Hopkins had the lowest field goal percentage of his career and then they decide the long snapper they're moving on we'll just note that but um I don't, I view it as a, as another sort of a culture thing that that guy, Nick Sundberg was very popular uh, in the community. He obviously did a lot of great uh, community work with his uh, uh, service to help getting laundry machines in, in places in, in schools for, 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 for kids that needed it and things like that. But in terms of the team, it just reminds me of like on some level that we talk about errors and obviously the long snapper is not de- typically identified as being a central figure in, in one. But it does sort of say to signal to me between him out, Kerrigan out, and if they don't get Brandon Scherf to a deal before, before July or you know, before the, the deadline this summer, you know, he's only going to be here for one more year, most likely. And that, like, the it, it is starting to become more of that it's the Ron Rivera era, not that we already weren't there, but like moving on from Sunberg, um, sort of signals that a little bit to me. I know I'm being a little over dramatic in that because that's not it's not like he was a bad guy, he was a good guy. He's a, he's a culture fit. And I'm sure Rivera viewed it as such, but that was kind of what struck me as like is another reminder that all the things we have been focusing on for years are, are continually slowly go away, including a guy who none of us talked about on game day for the most part in a positive way, meaning, but no right. bad snap. We don't mention the long snapper, um, but another, another error, another sign that like things are changing here um, from what, yeah. you know, from what they were. I, absolutely. And um yeah, I don't know why the move was made, but yeah, it, there is a very steady progression of moves made by Rivera to, you know, it's, it's, it create his own world now. 
this is his organization. And I, I don't think it's anything terribly different than any other successful coach go, who's been, you know, a long-term successful coach going to another team and starting over. I think that's just the nature of how this business is. Uh, you know, guys come in and they, they you know, this is, this is their world now. I, I, I hearken back a lot to the time when I was in Seattle and Mike Holmgren was hired there and coming in, obviously having come off two Super Bowls, winning one of them uh, in Green Bay that, you know, basically his approach was, you know, time, Seattle's football history started now with him. And I think a lot of coaches kind of have to take that mentality when they come in, that, that that's just the nature of what this business is, is, yeah, that organization was fine, but they didn't win. And I'm here now and I'm going to win and I'm going to do it with my people and I'm going to do it with an you don't even necessarily always upgrade with the people. Uh, who's, who's to say that they're going to get a better long snapper now? Uh, but you go through these things because it's it's your world now and you do that. And that's just the nature of the business. Uh, that's that's what football coaches do. And yeah, he's got to establish a culture and it's not exactly like the culture here was was sterling. If it was, we wouldn't have been talking about culture being so bad here. Um you know, the people that you've mentioned are all, are all wonderful people. They, you know, Ryan Kerrigan's been terrific here. Uh, Nick Sumberg's been terrific here. I, you know, I think Trent Williams was such a positive part of the culture in that locker room for many years. And, and, you know, and such a, you know, you know, tremendous, tremendous player that, you know, I almost thought gave his game, his body to this game. Uh, but he wasn't, you know, he was, he was the last generation's left, left tackle, the last decade's left tackle. I mean, that just, that's just what happens. And, and you, you know, these you know, coaches come in and they move on and they do different things. Uh, long snapper really in the grand scheme of things is a terribly insignificant piece. It's just in this case, there happened to be a guy that everybody kind of had connected with. Perhaps that says something about this organization too, that the long snapper is one of the most recognizable people. Yeah. Uh, but uh yeah it's it's it happens in this business and it happens with with new coaches and you know it's uh they they, they have to have what they're comfortable with or else they're not going to be they're not they're not going to feel comfortable right and and you know like part of that also is it wasn't just him but with with dustin hopkins who's staying and tress way like those three guys were pretty inseparable in the back part of the locker room yeah, um, when the ping pong you guys have heard us everybody talk about tress way playing ping pong and how great he is but sunberg was right there and like when we would talk do trivia with, with tress way nick sunberg was right there as well but those three guys really had a strong a strong bond i'm sure they will continue beyond um you know in their in their lives that's the game. i mean there's always there's always going to be groups of guys that have a strong bond and, yeah you know somebody goes and and that's that's just that's just the nature of how this goes um yeah absolutely by the way i know i know that les is already on top of this i'm sure les has studied lists of available uh long snapper for agents i will say because sunberg has been here for so long i've never looked at a list of long snapper free agents. I didn't even know that there would be a list. There is there are lists on the internet. Um, I don't know how to say this guy's last name, LLP Lado Seer. And you're like, what the hell? LP Lado Seer, yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, 40 years old. He was Dallas's long snapper forever. He was on the verge of passing Jason Witten for the most games played by the organization. And they, I think only did like three, and they released him because I believe the new special teams coach was with the Rams, similar to what we're talking about. He brought in his guy from the Rams. So he's out there. That would be hilarious if they brought the Dallas guy uh, in. But uh, you know, the, the great interesting fact about Pilatosaur is he was perfect 
for I think every snap of his career until a couple of years ago. He still was perfect. Uh, but if you if you recall in 2018 in the Dallas game here, the one that that Washington won in that little run that, that got it to first place before everything fell apart after Alex Smith's injury. Uh, it was uh, LP Latisseur who had the uh, moved the ball slightly. Uh, it was a penalty that caught, that pushed Dallas a little bit out of field goal range and, and kept them from winning that game. Uh, so he had a, he had been perfect his uh, his whole career until that game here in Washington. So there is that little kind of tidbit about him as well. Look at that. Uh, but this yeah, there are uh, you know, they will find another long snapper. If you remember, Nick Sumberg kind of was. I think there was worry that that you know his career might end. He had some you know some serious back stuff a couple of years ago, and they actually brought in a snapper for the last couple of weeks of the year, Andrew. So uh, yeah, it, it's easy to find another long snapper. It's just you don't like changing them. It's like changing kickers. Once you change them once, then you start changing them over and over and over. And you like to kind of get somebody and keep them. That 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 uh, that that right there. You just saw why Les is a is a true raconteur. Uh, dropping in that long snapper reference out of the blue, no prep, just off the top of his head. He had that um, He had that in his bag. Uh, all right, I mentioned last, we are talking with Les Carpenter, uh, my pal from the Washington Post. Uh, so, you, you, and I encourage everybody to go read his story in the paper uh, talking about why he's saying that, hey, this, is, you know, this isn't a joke. They're actually do, winning the off season or some version of that. They're actually doing a good job with their moves. We've already talked about here on the, on the previous episode about William... Uh, Jackson and I talked about Curtis Samuel a little bit here. We can get into some of that if you want, but like, and they've made some other little little depth moves as well. So in order for them to continue winning the offseason, as it were, there's still more work to do. Uh, what what do you what do you what do you think? Like you you have if I tell you they have one significant ex, uh, expenditure remaining, maybe not the uh, eleven million dollars on average for Samuel or the whatever or the or the or or jackson's money but you know something beyond the a minimum something of whatever what what do you want them to uh to go do well let's see what what you know let's see what guys pop open uh you know more guys will get released uh some free agents will go unsigned uh for varying reasons a there there are bargains to be gotten out there uh you know because this is such a strange year with the salary cap uh Players will be available. Uh, I I think at this point they just they have to get depth. Uh, you know that's something that you know we look back even a couple of years ago when uh, I was talking about 2018 a second ago. I mean, a, you looked at the starting eleven on each side of the ball and it was pretty good. After that, things fell apart pretty quickly. Uh, when the guards went down, there weren't great replacements. Uh, you know, when when injuries happened on the defense, there weren't guys who could step up. Very slowly, this team added some good depth last year, very quietly, I should say. Uh, and, and we saw it a lot. There were, there were moments. I mean, uh, you, you know, they, they upgraded the offensive line, not overall, because you lose Trent Williams, uh, although he wasn't there the year before. But still, you, you lose, you, you know, you lost that presence, uh, you know, on the roster. And, and, you know, even with Donald Pennebrook next year. But Cornelius Lucas did okay. You know, they got through. Uh, Wes Schweitzer turned out to be a brilliant signing. Uh, you know, he, he worked out fairly well. Uh, they made a lot of these depth moves. I, I think right now the best thing they can do is add some more depth around the roster, some good veteran depth. And then I think in the draft, if they continue to get good players, 
Uh, say you draft a left tackle that may not be ready this year uh, for sake of argument. He's a guy you can work in as a backup that slowly gets better. And then he can take over the job, you know, in a year. Uh, they need more guys like that. Cause when injuries happen, you have to have guys who can fill in last year. They had that a little bit. I think they, you know, the good teams have that and this team really needs to make sure that it does that. So I don't know that I necessarily am looking for, Oh, they got to go sign this linebacker. or They got to go sign this tight end. Although I do think they need to find another tight end. Uh, you know, I just, I, I think depth is, is essential right now. Bargain guys that are good players that are going to wind up starting half the season because somebody gets hurt. You know, it's interesting, you know, for the, you know, you can never truly identify unless they tell you who was the one that said you should, we should ultimately go get that guy. I mean, like when, when they talk about Logan Thomas during the year, Rivera said multiple times that tight end coach Pete Hayner, identified Logan Thomas and I would probably push back to a degree in the sense that like, well, did somebody say, go watch this tape. And from watching this tape, the guy said that, okay, that's one thing, but the first person then put the, put the tape on there and, and so on. Right. Right. I agree. So, yeah. so all those people who would have said that are all gone. That was your Alex Santos, your Richard Manns. They were gone because of the um, uh, allegations about harassment within the organization. Kyle Smith is gone as well. He was he had by that point, he was already been put it put as the, uh, you know, the head of the per, of both personnel departments. So he's out. Now, obviously they have new people in Marty Herney and Martin Mayhew, um, some other uh, Eric Stokes. So um, uh, they have their own credibility. So we'll see. But the people who made, who identified those people logically, I do, again, I can't pinpoint, but logically are all gone. So it will be interesting to see, you know, again, all, every move they've made to this point, you and I could have figured these moves out. It's the ones that you're talking about, the, 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 the random, the, I mean, Logan Thomas is a great example had done not much to say the least, even as a backup, let alone that he's going to become a guy who had the third most receptions in the league as a tight end is, is crazy. So that's going to be an interesting component to all this for sure. But, you know, Rivera is a constant as well as the coaches. So, you know, if they really did have a big, a big input into what happened last year, that'll be a, uh, that, that'll be a, a big component uh, for sure. You know, I would say this about Logan Thomas too. I, you know, I don't know that it was such a stunner for me that he turned out as well as he did. Uh, you know, I, I thought he was ascending as a tight end. Uh, he had had a decent year the year before. You could kind of start to see when I asked around the league, a lot of people were saying he's a good number two tight end right now. Uh, you know, I, but it's the kind of thing I've just been talking about a good bargain signing somebody who's just sitting out there on free agency that you could bring in and play um, you know, in this case, they needed a starter at tight end. So it worked out perfectly, but, you know, even if it was a backup at a position, somebody like that, that, you know, you could put out there for 10 games if you have to, because somebody else went down, that's what they need to load their roster with right now. Um, yeah, no, for, for, for sure. I mean, there's definitely more stuff they need. I mean, you know, there's uh, linebackers. They need one to two. They, they, you know, they, they, I mentioned earlier that they signed David Mayo today. A, a guy, another guy with Carolina ties. Looks, looks like a depth a depth play to me. I don't think that resolves. At, at best, that's a Kevin Pierre Lewis replacement, but most likely it's not even necessarily that. Yeah, they need. You gotta, yeah, you see what happens. Yeah. Right. And, and, and by the way, when yeah. we talk about these Carolina signings, I, whatever. I mean, 
anybody on a minimum deal, uh, you know, they can sign less on a minimum deal, and I don't really care. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Tyler Tyler Larson on the offensive line was another one. Um, they they need bodies. You have you need good ninety guys on camp, and there's injuries, and you know you never know. Um, but they still need some more. The, the tackle situation will be one. They do need tight end depth behind Logan Thomas. So there are definitely things that they're going to need. And we're like like we're saying, this is going to be interesting to see how they identify it. And and um, you know, this is a weird market to say the least. Um, for 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 sure. Um, any um, anything else for you that's of of, of mind? I'm. Uh, uh, it's been a long week. Uh, today, Les, was the first time that I slept in, you're going to, as a, as a guy with, with kids, you're going to be like, get, get out of here. Today was the first day I slept in past 10 o'clock in uh, well over a year. And the only re- and to, just to be clear, I didn't sleep 12 hours. I didn't go to bed till probably like four or five, but even then I still was waking up like eight by seven or eight o'clock, no matter what. So Whatever happened, I, this week has worn me out, so my brain is a little bit fried. Anything else for you uh, that that's of mind with regards to this team? The free agency is overall. The, there's an entire league we didn't even get into. And any anything no, come I to think, mind? I think these guys did well in free agency. I think they did. I, I think they did very well. Uh, they had some money to spend. They spent it wisely. Uh, they were patient. They were meticulous. They had a plan. They executed it. Uh, they got three very good players, I think, for what they need. They got the quarterback that they need for right now. Uh, they got the playmaker that I, I, I th- always thought was perfect for them. And I, I was I was happy to see that, you know, for their purposes, I think it, it, it's a perfect fit. Uh, and I, you know, they, they, they wound up with a cover corner. And you just don't get many cover corners. Uh, this guy, I think, you know, with some you know, kind of consistency around them with that, with that, you know, pass rush that this team has, I think will, will, will be a really good player for them. So I, you know, they, they made some very smart moves. Uh, they've had a very smart free agency and uh, you know, you can really kind of start to see that. Yeah. I, I, it's maybe a tough year because the schedule is going to be so hard. And I, I, th- I still think they're kind of fitting some pieces in, uh, but you could start to see where there's, there's really a nucleus that they can build around for a few years here. And you know, you can start to see some signs that, that you know, things, things might be okay with this, with this team, at least on the field. You know, we, we never say off the field because this, this is a franchise that will always throw you a curve, but at least on the field, it's, you know, I, you could see where they're going with it. Well, well, let me ask you this and then we can, we can get out of here. Obviously we're still early in free agency. So the idea of saying who's going to win the NFC East is ridiculous, but um Part of the reason why Dallas was a disaster last year was Dak Prescott got hurt early on and things just kind of fell apart from there. Well, he, he has a significant injury, so I'm not going to automatically assume he'll be 100% from the jump. But let's just assume for argument's sake, by week one, Dak Prescott is more or less the guy we, we know and they, they, you know, they have some things to do. The, the Eagles look like they're a clear rebuild. We can, in theory, throw them out, although last year we would have said the same thing about Washington and they won the division. Uh, the Giants look like they're trying uh, at the moment. I believe they're going to be meeting with Kenny Galladay in the next day or so. That could be interesting if they get him to add to that mix, but, uh, and they kept Leonard Williams, but whatever. Let's just focus on Dallas based on what Washington has done so far. They, they, they improved a little bit at corner. They added a big piece at receiver and, and, and at quarterback, they look like they have at least a more stable presence than compared to what they did last year, going through four different people, but Dallas gets back Dak Prescott. If you view that Washington's year at the end was legit, that they won five to seven, and that was a real sign of ascension, or if you view it as, okay, 
and even Ron Rivera has kind of said this, like, well, yeah, they won five to seven, but there was some some significant luck when you look into the, you know, who they were beating and all these kinds of things. Yeah, they got a lot of teams at the right time. Yeah. Does if if Dak Prescott is back well, again, all these caveats. Which do you think Washington is better than Dallas, or does the Dak, Dak Prescott thing change it? Uh, I, I don't know that I could say that now because you right, you don't know where Dak Prescott is. I mean, yes, I think Dallas may still have a little more overall talent in terms of some star players on you know on, on key positions on the roster. That said, I, I think Washington's overall roster is 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 stronger than it was say a week ago. Uh, and you know, I've always thought that there was talent here. So I, you know, it's, I, you know, the NFC East to me has always been, you, you lump everybody at eight and eight and two teams will wind up, you know, ascending at least a win or two above that. And two teams will wind up, you know, you know, only winning six games. I mean, it's, it, it this, this is such a, a muddled division. Rarely does anybody run away with it. Uh, I don't see anybody running away with it next year uh so we'll see i you know this this team has a tough schedule there's the 17th game the 17th game is probably on the road in buffalo which makes it hard to, you know you play the final four teams from last year uh you know and it just it it makes it difficult so i don't i don't know that i i you know can say that this team is automatically better than dallas because it's made some good moves i just think this whole division and be the division it usually is a mess and <clears throat> somewhere at the end of the year it kind of self sorts itself out the last week um would, would you like to offer any type of coffee advice before i let you go either as for the people who uh who who who, who do do their own thing at home or if the people are going out and uh and any any suggestions maybe somebody's like you know i've like i've wanted to try coffee but i'm nervous i don't know what to do any any tips at all out there for the coffee consumer. <laughs> well, you know what I do every every day. You know, I do, but you know, there, right? twice a day at, at Dolceza and Bethesda with a with a, a a latte there, and yeah, that's that's my routine. That's that's my advice. So just just go latte every, every day. That's I uh, had two lattes a day can can go a long way. All right, there you go. There you have it, kids. We want to live a long, happy, healthy, healthy life like last two lattes a day. Uh, and uh, Les, definitely appreciate it, man. Go read his stuff on the Washington Post. I'd say go follow him on Twitter, but honestly, I don't think Les gives a shit. So uh, you can, but you know, right? I mean, yeah, sure. What, 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 I don't what, think he'll get much, but what, what are you at Les Carpenter? At Les Carpenter. Yeah. Right. Yeah, go follow him. I mean, you know, but okay, you know, Les does a lot of other things. Twitter is not his thing, but uh, you know, go read his stuff. That's all he really cares about. Thanks, man. Hey, thank you. It was fun. All right. Uh, many thanks to Les Carpenter. I, I, I probably would have, in a perfect world, had some thoughts on the NCAA tournament, tried to work out a guess for that, but this didn't uh, happen. Obviously, it's that time of year, March Madness. Uh, I'm happy that we get it back. It didn't happen last year. Uh, you know, college basketball, we don't have the same, I, I don't have the same relationship with it that I did in my youth or even just a few years ago uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, the sport isn't what it was for me, but this is this is the sport right now. March Madness, obviously on the local front. Georgetown is a surprise entrant, winning the Big East tournament. Maryland's in. Virginia's in. Virginia Tech is in. Uh, obviously, for everybody uh, who gives a crap about those schools, good luck to your schools. I um, I, I'm I'm ex excited to see what Patrick Ewing does in his first uh, NCAA tournament game as a coach. 
Uh, obviously, there, there may there may be some footage or two of his playing days. So that'll be a lot of fun. I, I, I'm happy for the people who, like I said, are the, you know, it's, it's a program that I grew up rooting for as a fan. I've covered the um, professionally for most of the last 10 plus years. I, I didn't this year, essentially, because I've obviously been focusing on the football team and the pandemic and all that stuff. Um, and we'll see. I kind of, to be honest, I don't know if I should go back and cover them any, for real anymore. I mean, I'll, I'll pay attention, but, you know, kind of kind of like being on the outside of some of these things. When you cover every sports team in town, like I did for a lot of the last decade or so, and you grew up rooting for all these teams, it's like, wait, can I be a sports fan at all anymore? I've tried to keep the Orioles as a team like that, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it's not much to root for there these days, to be honest. I think we all kind of get that. In any event, so uh, I don't have any bracket advice for you. Uh, looks like Gonzaga's pretty good. There's my there's some analysis for you. Um I, I'm going to qualify almost nothing as an upset other than like if a one seed loses, you know, to a 16, you know, if, if a UMBC happens, that might be one thing. Beyond that, this crazy year of college basketball, I assume nothing is an upset for the most part. Anything is possible. Uh, that's not a Kevin Garnett quote. That's just, I think, the reality. This is a weird year. So it should be fun. Uh, I'm glad that it's going to happen for people. And um, I'm glad that you guys are here with me on the podcast as always. Thanks to my friends with All Pro Reels for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Thanks to you guys for checking everything out. Subscribe on The Athletic. Again, you can get the subscription for a dollar a month. Go click on any of my links and uh, you can do that. I'll have a new article up there on Monday. Back with more podcasts next week here on the Standing Room Only Podcast. But until next time, see you.